Hello, I'm Peter Morgan, and this is The Purpose of Finance, a new podcast series exploring how the finance industry could better serve society and confronting the issues that disrupt that important relationship. This series is brought to you by Pension Insurance Corporation, a specialist UK insurance company based in the heart of the City of London. It's produced in association with Editorial Intelligence, the podcast content providers. In this episode, we've chosen to tackle short-termism. So, in a huge field of candidates, why has short-term thinking made the cut? Well, first of all, because companies that think only in the short term are unlikely to be around in the long term. And also because financial markets are frequently criticised for making matters worse. The pressure of half-year, even quarterly reporting, the demand from investors for dividends today over rewards tomorrow and the frighteningly short shelf life of a modern CEO have all heaped pressure on executive teams to seek short-term gratification at the expense of long-term growth. I wonder whether there's anything that can be done in the reporting sense and transparency sense that will coerce or nudge companies into thinking about the long term. This idea of fair and responsible investment goes back a long way. You know, Johnson & Johnson, they talk about providing a fair return for shareholders. They do not talk, as many economists do, about maximising profits. There are people now who are talking about a narrative and a leadership legacy which is much more about sustainability, purpose and responsibility. We tend to focus on the concerns and risks and consequences of short-termism in business, but we don't really spend a lot of time talking about the short-termism in politics. We've only had democracy for 1% of human history, and we happen to be living in that era. That was the global economist Dampi Samoyo, who we'll be hearing more from shortly. Alongside the cross-section of views from the panel of expert guests joining me now in the studio. Sophie Devonshire is an entrepreneur and brand specialist. She's chief executive of the strategic brand consultancy, The Caffeine Partnership, and last year she published a book called Superfast, Lead at Speed, which examines how to lead companies in a fast-changing world. Tim Ward is CEO of the Quoted Companies Alliance, an independent membership organisation championing the interests of small to mid-sized quoted companies. And Steve Hughes is Associate Economist at WPI Strategy, one of the UK's leading political communication consultancies. He's also writing a paper on short-termism and productivity as part of this series. So, Steve, perhaps I could start by asking you, what is short-termism and why should we worry about it? Short-termism is a phrase that's knocked about quite a lot to describe a whole range of behaviours that are perceived as negative. So I was listening to the Shadow Chancellor, John McDonnell, just the other day, and he was talking about the short-termism of companies and how that has a negative effect on the economy. But really, these behaviours that we're talking about are things like ensuring that profit is maximised in the short term rather than investing in the long term. But it can also mean things related to executive pay, i.e. taking pay now rather than concerning yourself with the long-term health of a company. And why does it matter? Well, it matters because if we are taking short-term decisions, we're not investing in the long-term health of the economy. Sophie, your book has looked very specifically at this balance between the purpose of a company and the requirements of short-term profit. What's your key takeaway from the 100 or so executives you spoke to? 
This is one of the biggest challenges for anybody, any 21st century leader right now in a world where things are moving at such a rapid pace. It leads to an incredible amount of impatience. You've got the hot breath of the shareholder who is seeing companies like Uber, who can go from nothing to a $58 billion valuation in five years in 58 countries, and saying, well, why can't that happen everywhere? And you've got the impatience of customers um, who want to make things happen very fast. And you've got the individual impatience of the leaders But what's happening now is a really important shift in those leaders who are most skilled at looking at their businesses, which is they are starting to talk about the power of a purpose, the power of looking at the long term, and are interested in the legacy of having a longer term narrative. So the key takeout is that any skilled leader at the moment needs to be balancing the short term. You do have to deliver. You have to make sure you get enough profits to keep the business and sustain it. We see how many businesses have gone under that we've been surprised about. But most people are starting to talk about what power there is in looking at the long term alongside that. So having a two-pace race, if you like, of the pace that needs to be set for today, but also setting the pace for tomorrow. Tim, you represent small and medium-sized companies. I, I guess I could imagine having a conversation with someone who leads a company like that, saying, here we are in the middle of the Brexit chaos. The macroeconomics are just so uncertain. It's impossible to look to the long term. I think the companies in our area fly below the radar of these uh, macroeconomic issues. Um, They're typically market disruptors or market innovators, so they get on with it. And I think in terms of getting on with it, that is, as Sophie says, that's delivering in the short term because effectively they're working as stewards on behalf of the investor's money, so they need to provide an adequate return in the short term. But also they're looking to create sustainable long-term value for those shareholders. We produce a corporate governance code, which is adopted by over 800 companies on the AIM market. And that says the purpose of governance and corporate governance and creating the right structures is to create that sustainable long-term value. Everyone knows that productivity is a particularly British problem. Do you think short-termism is a particularly British problem? Steve? No, I don't really think it is, actually. If you look at all the studies that have been on short-termism, type it into Google, you'll come up with a whole list of reports from all over the world that talk about the subject, and they're broadly talking about the same things that we've just talked about here as well. So I don't think it is a British problem. I don't even know yet whether it is a British problem to solve or requires some kind of international cooperation to solve, which is an interesting question within itself. We've been talking about this for decades upon decades, and still haven't neared something that comes close to a solution on it. We're interested in this series on the role of financial services. Do you think the financial services industry is helping as much as it could to enable executives to look in the longer term, Sophie? I think it depends what area you're looking at, but fundamentally every single executive is trying to find new, smarter, more sensible ways to make sure they've got that sustainability. Enough in the short term to deliver what you need um, and enough to make sure that you survive. So having the right support from the right financial services, it's a market that's changing so quickly. Like so many other businesses, the growth of exponential technology has changed the way in which companies can offer 
different financial services to people and there are different models. So I think the variety of choice is helping. There is also an overriding challenge, which is how business is seen by society and what role financial services then play in supporting that. Um, Business has an incredible role, I believe, in society and it gives us purpose and dignity and profitability. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think leadership within that industry is talking about these kind of things and trying to move Mm. away from short-termist thinking. So I'm thinking about the inclusive capitalism agenda that's being driven uh, by organisations such as Legal in General, but has been picked up by the Bank of England and even ex-presidents like Bill Clinton. That kind of movement is a movement. It just hasn't taken hold as widespread as it should have done yet. Tim, do you think we're giving the banks and the financiers too easy a ride here? I mean, the common man believes these are folk who lend you an umbrella when the sun's shining and want it back again when it starts raining. Uh, There's a fundamental difference, I think, between the activity of the banker and the activity of people involved in equity. Debt is temporary. Equity is permanent. So if you have short-termism where somebody asks for their umbrella back because it's pouring with rain, effectively you lose your capital. With equity, if somebody wants to, if you like, get out, they can sell that equity and the company does not give any money back. It's permanent capital for the company. And I think that's a fundamental difference because you can have the short-term attitude of a bank when something goes wrong. And we saw it during the financial crisis and money gets withdrawn. But the companies on the stock market did not have that withdrawal of capital. Their values may have fallen, but they were still able to go back to their shareholders to raise more money and use that permanent capital as a base. Now, within that, with people buying and selling shares, perhaps they're taking a very short-term approach. The other thing I would add is that short-termism is a very interesting concept because everybody has a different start date and everybody has a different time horizon. So what appears to be short-termism, in some cases, may be people coming to the end of an investment cycle. There is, of course, a word we haven't heard for some time, which is nationalisation. And we now have in mainstream political debates the idea that the way to get long-term investment is actually to take this out of the hands of the financiers, take out of private enterprise and to bring it back into government ownership. Do you think that that is a legitimate way of ensuring long-term investment, Sophie? I think that there are a number of business leaders now who are very, very clear that business is changing and would argue against uh, nationalisation as an approach. They are talking about how they can be as well as responsive to the opportunities that are out there in a world that's moving super fast. They're also talking about the need to be responsible businesses who are prepared to be responsible stewards of their own role in society and community as a whole. Companies have got to make long-term decisions. They've got to understand the needs and wishes of stakeholders, not just investors and others. But this idea of fair and responsible investment goes back a long way. There's some really good examples. You know, Johnson & Johnson, if you look at their charter, they talk about providing a fair return for shareholders. They do not talk, as many economists do, about maximising profits. And the only way you can maximise profits in the long term, in my view, is to actually meet the needs of very, very many people, customers, suppliers, workforce, other stakeholders. You can't ignore any of those in this day and age. And in addition to that, I think 
we need to talk about what nationalisation represents here, which is the ultimate short-termism, which is the political cycle. Because every five years we elect a new government which has a different policy platform and you can take it across whether it's financial services regulation, whether it's the education system, whatever, it's chopped and changed or ripped up every few years. That's not long-termism. Thanks for now to our panel who will be back shortly to discuss where we go from here and to look for solutions. For more detail on this debate, do head to the Thought Leadership section of pensioncorporation.com where you'll find papers, articles and more on the purpose of finance, the project which sparked this series. Recently, Pension Insurance Corporation launched their paper on the purpose of stock exchanges. At the launch, I asked guests whether they thought short-term thinking was an important barrier to our economic progress. Ian Barber from Bishopsfield. I think, by and large, organisations make pretty long-term decisions, both in terms of how they invest, how they raise money and capital. You know, it's very easy when you look at history going back 50 years to think that something that's a five-year view is short-term. I don't think it's done with that in mind. I think it's a context of long-term. I'm Heather Buchanan. I'm the Director of Policy for the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Fair Business Banking with a general policy objective of reforming the landscape so that scandals we've had over the last 10 years don't occur again in the future. One of the things I was interested in from today's report is it highlighted the risks of short-term thinking in financial markets. Do you think there's too much short-term thinking in investment? 100%. We have become so focused on quarterly results, even dare I say it, you know, in the aftermath of the financial crisis when everybody said, oh, we've gotten into this mess. But even in the attempt to stabilize the system, there was a great deal of short-term thinking. You know, it's always about kind of getting yourself back to a position quickly. And that resulted, from our experience, in a lot of conduct problems within the banks. And it's going to take probably a generation to move on to a longer-term view again, potentially. My name is Walter Verbeek. I'm uh, working in uh, corporate strategy for uh, BNY Mellon. I think there's always this balancing act. That's what being entrepreneurial is all about. At times you need to take a short-term decision, perhaps within the hour. And at the same time, you need to reconcile that with sustainability of your, your company, your enterprise. I am Jonathan Reynolds, MP. I'm the Member of Parliament for Staley Bridge and Hyde and the Shadow City Minister. Do you think short-term decision-making by business is a major hurdle to the economy? Yes, I think it's overwhelming and I think it is something that people of all political stripes recognise. Where there is particular criticism, particularly in Parliament, of how some bits of the economy work, it is predominantly a criticism of short-termism. So an example would be the trend to private equity, a lot of trade unions, essentially asking the question, does the short-term performance of that investment impair the long-term performance of the company. And that is, a, that is a relevant conversation where we can think of obvious examples of where that may perhaps have happened. The solutions are a little bit harder, but I think there is a very big conversation that needs to happen, and a lot of people are interested in doing that. Dambisa Moyo is an economist and author who specialises in global economics and international affairs. She advises on investment, capital allocation and risk management. Time magazine has named her as one of their 100 most influential people in the world. When we met up, I was keen to ask her how she'd assess the health of the global economy. Pretty much all the problems, economic problems of the world, are long-term structural problems. 
um, technology and the risk of the jobless underclass. You know, today in advanced economies, around 80% of the workforce is involved in services. 60% of the workforce at the turn of the last century was involved in agriculture. Today, it's less than 2%. If we see that kind of diminution of jobs because of technology, technology replacing a lot of the uh, service sector, the question is, where are all those workers going to go? And there is no answer. Demographic shift. If you speak to demographers, they will tell you that we are seeing a rapid increase in the world's population, something that we have never seen before in history, and we will probably never see again after 2100, when the world's population will plateau out at 11 billion. You know, places like India adding a million people a month to the population. It's climate change, natural resource scarcity, um, other issues that are long-term and structural. Income inequality. It's an issue that we didn't care about, really, 30 years ago, because we assumed if we can deliver economic growth, it would increase people's livelihood, sort of lift all boats, and globalization in particular was an engine for that. Well, we're now living in a world where the eight wealthiest men, all men, have more wealth than the bottom 50% of the world's population, according to Oxfam. You make a very, very compelling case about why we should worry about short-term thinking in business. Do you agree that short-term decision-making is an increasing trend and a damaging trend to the advanced economies? Um, we tend to focus on the concerns and risks and consequences of short-termism in business, but we don't really spend a lot of time talking about the short-termism consequences in politics, which I think actually are very deeply related. But specifically to the question of short-termism in business, I would argue that there are numerous trends that have occurred over the past 30, 40 years, even longer, that suggest that short-termism has been increasing. Um, things like the tenure of CEOs and CFOs. In the 1970s, if you were a CEO, you'd probably be in office for 10 years. Today, you know, I'll give myself as an example, I've been on a board where I served for nine years. I had four CEOs um, and four chairmen in that nine-year period. But on average, CEOs are now serving around four years, which I think is emblematic of this short-term uh, um, concern. Other data points, the holding periods of portfolio managers, of how long they hold a stock in their portfolio has shrunk. In the 1970s and 80s, you would hold a stock for seven years. Today, basically because of algorithms and uh, high-frequency trading, they talk about seven weeks, sometimes seven hours um, of holding a stock. So the implications for strategy and how the boards and companies think about investing and long-term planning has become much shorter. Um, of course, quarterly uh, reporting also is, is part of that thinking. What do you think can be done? Oh, I think a lot of things are already being done. And this is the problem with arguments that you hear in you know, cocktail parties, but also in mainstream media, which is, oh, there are these problems and nobody's doing anything about it. A lot has already been done. Um, for many CEOs and, and senior management of, of corporations, not only have um, compensation packages been extended into the long term, but we have things like clawback clauses. So if in 15 years we find out that a CEO from 10 years ago did something bad or has created long-term consequences, we can actually claw back on their pension, we can claw back on future incomes. But also 
um, if you think about how people are now being graded in terms of their performance, their, um, not only is their compensation skewed to future years, but also how we moved away from just pure monetary compensation. It is about long-term outcomes. It's about succession. How are they grading the succession that comes after they've left? So I'm actually pretty optimistic that we are thinking much more long-term and linking compensation and, and performance to longer-term metrics. It's interesting to see that some of the world's best performing economies are not democracies. If you look over the long term, say Singapore or China, do you think democracies are just plain bad at dealing with long term structural problems? Well, first of all, we've only had democracy for 1% of human history. So if you just take a moment to think about that, you know, we've had millennia of human beings and we've had only 1%, and we happen to be living in that era to a large extent. So it's really just a small aberration that we're experiencing right now. So it's, it's, it's probably too early to make, to cast generalizations, and I can understand the frustrations. I, I've had to actually publish a book on this because I was so infuriated, but I think that's an important point to think about. And the second thing is that even as we sit here today, 30% of the world's population lives in liberal democracies. Over 70% lives in autocratic or non-democratic states or states that are ostensibly democratic in that people go and vote, but they're really illiberal democracies and indistinguishable from authoritarian governments. So to your specific question, is democracy bad at dealing with long-term issues? I think one of the benefits of, and I grew up in the emerging markets where 90% of the world's population lives, the emerging markets tend to deal with um, what I'd call easy asset allocation decisions. Build a school, build a road, build a hospital. What you find in democracies, advanced economies, is that there are a lot more complexities and nuance to the issues, more trade-offs that need to be thought about. For example, um, the trade-offs around uh, aging populations. Where do we spend the marginal dollar? Should we spend it more on people who are potentially going to live another year in their late 90s, or should we invest in education? Those kind of trade-offs are, are much more debated in a democratic society. Even though we have you know, questions around pensions and old age and emerging markets, that they're not as immediate and as pressing because the, most, the biggest concerns are the what I'd call easy partly farcically, because they, if they were easy, they'd be solved, and they're not solved, but the, the more obvious um, asset allocation question. So um, the idea of private benefits, which we are afforded in democratic societies, not being matched with the societal costs is the fundamental question that Western societies are going to have to deal with. And let me just repeat what I mean by this. By living in a Western society, you are afforded an array of freedoms. You can eat as much as you like. It doesn't matter if you become obese. It's fine. But our choices, whether it's how many children you want, how much food you eat and potentially become obese, etc., etc., do have societal consequences. Economists have been bad on the whole of trying to balance out the cost-benefit analysis between private individual freedoms and societal costs. And that is something that less democratic states have been better at dealing with because the governments in those countries have more levers, more degrees of freedom to try and close the gap between individual freedoms and societal costs. That is something that we have to deal with in Western society, but we find very difficult to deal with because we do believe fundamentally that people have the right to choose and to do whatever they like. So now I want to come back to our panel to discuss solutions to short-term thinking. 
But before we do, let's hear from some of our previous eminent contributors to see what changes they'd like to make to the financial services sector. I'm Polly McKenzie and I'm the Chief Executive of Demos. And if there's one thing I could change about the financial services industry, it would be to treat climate change as seriously as we treat profit. Okay, I'm Tracy Blackwell. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Pension Insurance Corporation. And the one thing I would do is to make financial education compulsory in schools. I'm Hugh Van Steenis. I'm Senior Advisor to the Government of the Bank of England and chairing a review on the future of finance. And the one thing I would change is make uh, the composition of people working in financial services much closer to the society in which we live in. So, panel, we've now got a pretty good handle on the problem. Let's get some thoughts on what practical steps could shift focus towards sustainable long-term objectives. Sophie, perhaps we could start with you. One of the key challenges is timing. So we've just been thinking and talking about the pressure of the shareholder and focusing on providing some return to the shareholder. Those people who are thinking about the other audiences, so the customer, the community, the world, are able to balance the pressure from the shareholder with longer term approach. So you get people like um, Paul Polman within Unilever who focused very much on building the short term and the long term. Now, he accepts the business could have grown faster. But he made a very conscious decision that he wanted to make sure it was sustainable for the long term. And one of the first things he did to manage that in terms of solutions was to manage the expectations of his shareholder. So on his first day in his job as CEO, he changed the reporting structure. He had a longer time to report back to the shareholders. He figured that it was the first day of his job, so he couldn't really get fired for doing it. But by managing the expectations and changing the timing pressure of that, he totally shifted the pressure that he felt as a leader on that. You've also had Dave Lewis from Tesco, who talks about the fact that their turnaround could have happened faster, but he consciously chose to do the right thing. Um, Giles Andrews from Zopa talks about the same thing. There are people now who are talking about a narrative and a leadership legacy, which is much more about sustainability, purpose and responsibility, which really changes the shape of the conversation for everybody. So Sophie is talking about what companies are doing. Do you think, Steve, that the financial services needs to change in attitude as well? Potentially, and this does come down to leadership. And, and one of the ideas that I'm interested in on this topic is, is around transparency and reporting within itself. And I'm going to use an example from another area of policy here, a relatively recent one, which is gender pay reporting. Now, before the gender pay reporting kind of legislation came in that companies had to report on what their gender pay gap was, it was quite far down the list of importance to these companies. Now they have to report on it and think about it. They are thinking about it. They're changing their attitudes. They're changing their pay structures. They're changing their behaviour. And I wonder whether there's anything that can be done in the reporting sense and transparency sense that will essentially coerce or nudge companies into thinking about the long term. Do you think executive pay has got to change? Do you think, Tim, that people who are at the top of big companies and earning telephone number salaries are just incentivised to make the most of the four or five years they're going to be in post. Do you think that pay actually has to change fundamentally before we're going to get executives looking to the long term? I can't really speak as to the pay for the large companies. The ratio of a chief executive's pay in the FTSE 100 compared with the average employee has risen astronomically over the last decades mm. or so. And it, it obviously does change behaviour. 
But the FTSE 100 accounts for, I think, something like 7% of all the companies on the stock market. It accounts for 80% of the market capitalization. So the rest of the companies, I believe, are the engines of growth. And pay there is incredibly important because it recognizes the risks that those founders, management take. I honestly believe that they take a lot more risk than a FTSE 100 share. I'm sure they would uh, disabuse me of that, but I'm absolutely convinced that there's more risk in small companies being taken than ever in the large ones. So I'd like to finish by asking each of you in turn, if there's one thing you would do to focus management on the longer term, what would it be? So let me start with you, Tim. Uh, well, can I have two things? One is that there should be a rebalancing of the tax treatment of debt and equity, and so that equity is given the respect that it deserves. And the other one is to channel funds from pension funds and others into equity, into the small cap world. To do that, probably need some form of state intervention, so some form of guarantee or side-by-side -side investing. But some of the benefit that the pension companies would get from that side-by-side -side investing should be channeled into an educational trust so that every single student on every single course in every single university is taught, if you like, about markets, equity, financial services, because a biotech student is just as likely to be in a company where serious money is going to be made than an economist. Interesting idea. Steve? Uh, what I would do is encourage companies or make companies think about their long-term strategy, publish it in a transparent sense so that everybody can see what their thinking is for the next 10, 15, 20 years, and that's in terms of how they want to grow the company, why they want to do it, how they want to employ people, and how they want to invest. Sophie? I feel optimistic about this because I think there's also a clear rationale for chief execs and executive teams to be very transparent and open about their long-term strategy and their purpose. Visibly showing that you have a long-term strategy also helps the short term because of the attraction of talent, the fact that you're building your organisation brand from inside out, giving people motivation and support around that long-term purpose. We talk a lot about you know, the need for speed in organisations and the need for growth, but actually aiming for velocity rather than speed which is speed in a given direction, really, really helps everybody. And I'm optimistic that more and more people and more and more leaders will be looking at that. Well, thank you to all our guests, Sophie Devonshire, Steve Hughes and Tim Ward here in the studio, and also to Tracy Blackwell, Hugh Van Steenis and Polly McKenzie, and Dampy Samoyo. A quick reminder that you can find out more about the purpose of finance by going to pensioncorporation.com and looking in the Thought Leadership section. In the next edition, we'll be plotting a roadmap towards fairer and more efficient capitalism. The Purpose of Finance is an editorial intelligence production for Pension Insurance Corporation. The series is presented by me, Peter Morgan. The executive producers are Julia Hobsbawm and Kate Taylor for editorial intelligence and Jeremy Apfel for Pension Insurance Corporation. Research is by Laura Moosins. Thanks for listening. <laughs>